ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our awesome guest is Rajiv Sabramanian, founder of Shift UX Advisory Program, and we're going to talk about self-audit for designers. This episode is brought to you by Zeppelin. Design tools can do almost anything, and with Zeppelin, they can go even further. Stop spending your time preparing design files for your developers and your PMs. Let Zeppelin do it for you. Show user journeys, organize screens, highlight components automatically. See how you can go from design to production faster at zeppelin.io. Hi, Rajiv. Hey there, Jane. Nice to be part of this and thanks for having me. We're so excited to learn from you today. So you have a pretty brilliant background. You teach, you consult, and you teach again. Uh, so tell us more <laughs> about what you do in different aspects. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So it's uh, when you put it that way, it almost seems like I don't have any time in the day. But most <laughs> of those are, you know, I'm kind of doing it on the side. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I do consulting and, and contract work over the last eight years or so in UX design, UX research. Currently, I do a contract with a Capital One. And so I continuously, you know, six month, one year types of contracts and kind of keep my feet wet, keep my ears to the ground in terms of what's happening in the field. And I like to be actively part of that. And of course, my Shift UX advisory program is all about helping career transitioners who are going into the field of UX design and product design to successfully navigate that transition. And I have a step-by-step blueprint course that basically walks them through how to focus on your personal brand, focus on your portfolio, your case studies, how to do job searches effectively, and really focus on the key areas and have some guidance and coaching along the way that kind of nudges them along to make sure that they effectively not only land the jobs in a whatever time frame that they're looking for, but transform themselves because a lot of this, as we've all been aware, for anyone who's transitioned into anything, it's daunting. The confidence can take a hit at any point in the journey. You sometimes you think you've gotten really far and then only to be, you know, rejected several times in during the job hunt. It's tough, but part of the transformation is also within yourself in terms of being a more confident and more unapologetically yourself is what I call it, you know, a a designer when you're kind of getting into the field, or if you're even moving up in the field as well. So who is that ideal listener for your course? Is it somebody who has already been in design and just looking to shift expertise or somebody completely outside the industry? So I'm open to all. Majority of the people that I've worked with, whether this is intentional or just it happened to be the people that I worked with, was people that had transitioned from other fields. So, but this can be as early as maybe you're one or two years into a job that you hate and you want to transition and you heard that UX design is a field that piques your interests to people that have worked 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. So I'm just to give an example, I'm working with someone who is changing career from sales one and a half years into her career to someone who's been a teacher for 20 years and changing her career also into UX design, product design, or UX research. Still 
exploring and examining what the possibilities are for herself. I think we have discussed this here before, but people parlaying from other careers, they already have a full set of social skills. And for sure, a salesperson would have a fantastic success explaining their designs to any potential customer, right? Much better than like a rookie out of the college UXer with a native design education. Yes and no. You would think <laughs> it does have skills that can translate and, and might, you know, maybe it helps you because maybe you're a little bit more out, potentially outgoing or you're kind of, you can embrace kind of the uncertainty. Uh, maybe you interview in a much more comfortable way. And those are types of things that you could take from, you know, skills like uh, from the field of sales. Uh, but you'd be surprised there's people, regardless of how early or how late they are in their career, it's daunting to them. They're just saying, hey, I'm entering a new territory. I don't know about this. So whether you're two or three years in or whether you're 20 years in, it's equally as daunting because you don't know what you don't know, as they say. So you're entering into a territory that you're not familiar with. And you're kind of wondering, is this number one, you know, is this field for me? And number two, if I put all this effort into and in time, investment, energy, and resources, and maybe even money into this, you know, field, will it end in, you know, my satisfaction, happiness, and of course, you know, a job and a transformation of their life. So this self-audit module, is it uh, the beginning of your program or the final positioning touch, so to speak? I'm glad you mentioned it. it's both predominantly in the beginning. And I didn't have this initially. So initially it was, hey, let's take a look at your LinkedIn profile and your portfolio and your case studies. And we'll kind of re, we'll rehash it, make some improvements. Maybe I'll give you some suggestions on how to frame certain case studies, what to say, when to say it, all those types of things I can help with. But what I quickly realized is that in doing that, people were kind of defining and realizing who they were. And what I mean by that is they're realizing, hey, I really think I'm more, I have an affinity more towards this part of UX or product design, or I think I could really help uh, in fields of DEI, diversity, uh, equity, inclusion, or accessibility, whatever the case may be, I saw those defining moments happening while they were kind of going through this process. And so what I realized is, hey, I need to kind of back up a little bit and use a methodical approach to figure out how they can kind of do a self-assessment of themselves, a self-audit, as I call it. Let's focus on that first, because everything else kind of is defined from that point. Now, it may change, it may adjust. And usually by the end, there's been some slight variations. So we revisit it at the end. And we say, hey, is this still who you think you are? Do you still want to kind of double down on this and niche down into this area where you think you can provide the most value? And it's usually kind of yes with a couple of changes. It's usually never just like a total, total change because they've actually done kind of the hard self-examination and asked the tough questions that normally designers, especially those you know, transitioning into the field, they're usually asking, hey, is this field for me? And am I going to get a job? And how hard is it? They're not actually thinking more internally within themselves. Like, you know, what are my values? What are my passions? What are my strengths? What, what do I represent the best? How can I uniquely position myself because hundreds and thousands of other people are entering the field and how do I stand out? Those uh, self-discovery, I would say, 
investments are the most fun investments an adult can make in their being because even if you're well along in your career it's still very interesting to learn more about yourself and then use it so i'm really excited to embark on this journey with you today and let's do some self-auditing sure would you outline the steps that we'll be following today yeah sure so when i do a self-audit and kind of and the end goal essentially is kind of defining a first draft of what your personal brand would, is going to be. Now, I can get into what personal brand means, the myths, and what it is, what's not. I'm, I'm not going to because I could talk about that for a long time. But for the time being, a personal brand is, let's just say, it's what defines you to the core and what you represent that's going to provide value to wherever you work and also to, to yourself. So that being said, I usually follow like a rough three-step process. And the first is basically... It's almost, uh, I equate it to almost like a, again, it's like a UX process because you're doing research into yourself. So you're researching yourself. I call it a self-audit and it's asking the tough questions. And usually it starts with, and uh, you know, I have, because I have a, a lot of different areas, I'm just, usually I break it down into characteristics, your passions, your strengths, and then your values. And then what I mean by that is characteristics is, you know, I, some sample of questions that I can ask is what traits have stayed with you since you were a child? How would those who know you describe you? And then the passions I talk about previous jobs, or if you're kind of just transitioning, maybe things that you learned in school, what jobs are even parts of jobs. That's the key in the past or the present currently that have you enjoyed the most. So it's not just, I hated that job, because yeah, many people, that's why they're making the transition, right? They're, they want to move away from something that maybe it's not a fit. They feel like a square peg in a round hole. But were there parts of that job? You know, if, if I had to tell you, were there any parts of the job that you enjoyed, whether it's working with someone or whether it's, hey, I like this area of the job. And I want you to really think about that. And because most of the time there will be very few times people are going to be like, I hated every possible thing about it. It was the worst experience of my life. There's usually a couple areas that kind of rang true and that kind of st stuck with people. And then strengths, what are you most, you know, I talk about what are you most complimented on? What do people come to you for help with? And then one of the big ones that I talk about is, you know, values. You can ask uh, tons of questions and I have many questions about values, but when making important life decisions, whether it's career transition, graduation, getting married, whatever, what criteria do you have that basically helps make you those decisions. And I know these all questions all kind of seem like, what does this have to do with me going into the field if I want to be a UX writer or something, you know? But if these are the tough questions that are basically going to help you niche down into the areas of not just the particular area of UX and product design that you are, but how are you, you know, what are the outside traits that you're going to infuse when coming into this uh, in area of the field. So for example, that when I talk about my second part of what the steps are is you have to basically all these questions that were asked that I'm, you know, that I'm presenting, you have to go to, you know, your parents, your best friends, your spouse, maybe even your kids. And you ask the same thing and you kind of do a side by side once you've done that and see, Hey, these are all the things I thought when I thought of what, I thought of myself, questions I answered to myself, and this is what other people thought. And you do some digging because maybe there's 
some discrepancies in terms of what someone else thought, and or maybe they can add on to something that you didn't really think of. All those types of things can happen. So these step one and step two usually takes you know a, a big chunk of the time because it's a lot of questions that you're asking yourself. And the final step is usually how do you okay how do you put this into action? What is the unique value proposition that you can offer in the market? So I'll give an example of you know I have like a Venn diagram that I show you know people that go through my program of what the job market or what the market right now in terms of skills and needs, what it needs, what the competition, people that are also vying for the same you know, potential jobs as you, what is the competition missing, and what are your strengths? Finding that area where they all kind of intersect, you're going to basically find a strength that you have or a couple of strengths that you have that the competition is missing and that the market needs. Well, guess what? Sometimes if you have two out of the three, you can probably, you know, you can probably get a good job. If you have one out of the three, it might be a little bit difficult. But if you find the three in all the areas and you kind of check all the boxes of those three areas, you know, what the market needs, what the competition is missing, and what are the strengths that you offer, that gets you your unique value proposition. That positions you into a market. It gets you to a more detailed version of what you want. I'll give an example of what I've seen. So if you don't do this, a lot of the times you'll end up with what I call carbon copy profiles and even portfolios. Hi, I'm XYZ person. I'm a product designer that loves to build great products or products and services. Well, I hope so. I mean, I, I'm hoping that you're not here to create some horrible products and services because that would not be, you know, I think that's the assumption and anyone coming to you would already know that. So, you know, if you go to a, that same person's profile, it might say, you know, aspiring product designer. Now, I'm not saying whether to use aspiring or not. The point here is that's too generic and it doesn't tell me anything about you just at a first glance. So something better would be, you know, let's say if you're a senior product designer or you're just a product designer, you could say product designer and prototyping specialist, because maybe through your explorations, you found out that you really like prototyping, you really like interaction design or whatever the case may be. And something even better than that would be something like empathy-driven product designer and prototyping specialist in the healthcare tech industry. So now you've niched down to an exact area. And this might seem counterintuitive to kind of niche down into something very specific because you might be asking yourself, well, if I don't, you know, if, if I'm too specific, doesn't that kind of, you know, uh, block me from potential opportunities because maybe someone's looking for this type of designer. And my answer to that would be yes, but when you, you know, the, as the product managers might say is, and many designers might know, is that when you design for everyone, you design for no one. And being too generic will kind of put you in that category and people won't know what to think of you when they get to your profile. We're at a time right now in the market where you have to be kind of unapologetically yourself and unapologetically specific and niche down into these exact areas where you know you can provide value. Because an amazing thing will happen if you really focus on it and kind of trust this process is that you'll start getting, you'll actually start getting more opportunities thrown your way because you're able to be found and everything that your brand represents will be on your LinkedIn profile, on your social, on your portfolio, on your case studies, so on and so forth. So it seems counterintuitive, but this is a exercise which is just going to help 
the kind of catapult, you know, you being noticed in the market. And this also represents enormous learning opportunities because if you specialize in medical in healthcare, for example, you yeah. can spend, you know, 200 hours studying healthcare and that knowledge will be worth thousands of dollars because it will make you a niche specialist versus if you spend 200 hours just doing like pick and choose from exactly. all areas, yeah. it will be just generic, whatever branding design, whatever it would do. In my old days, 10 years ago, it paid off just to focus on web application design, just that. And it's, it's super wide, not even a special niche. But it's still like people would come to me and say, oh, but can you do the website for this? And I said yes a couple of times. And then I regretted deeply because it's a different story to design, you know, visual websites versus pragmatic web applications. And then another five years of web applications, I was really good at that, (laughs) like really good Yeah. versus if I did different kinds of projects. And that is not even not even going into a specific industry like you recommend as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to also change over time, right? Because this, like I said, those three areas, you know, what what the market needs, what the competition is missing, and what you're good at, all those can change at any given time. Every two, three, four, five years, you have to know, oh, wow. And I'll give a perfect example. So DEI, accessibility, and inclusive design, 10 years ago, no one talked about it, right? No one was really focus on it. Maybe even five years ago, you could say that. But in the last couple of years, people have been attracted to that and have learned more about it and have dug deep to try to learn those types of specific skills. And a great thing happens when multiple people do that, you know, hundreds, thousands of people do that. It becomes noticed in the market. And then the effect of that is that businesses will start focusing on accessibility, inclusion, DEI. And so now you have full roles that are like chief of DEI or head of diversity, equity, inclusion, or accessibility specialist. Now, it's, I think many designers here would agree that we're not quite there yet, but you have to understand this didn't exist, you know, five years ago to be even to team say that now I'm an accessibility designer for this company. It wasn't there. So yeah, so I think it's, it, it's ever changing and we have to basically keep our ears to the ground of what's happening in the market, what the competition is missing. And again, what are your strengths and how are they evolving and changing? I have a number of questions regarding all the stages you described, but for the first sort of self-discovery stage, is the list of questions uh, so long? Could we possibly read them out loud for our listeners now, or do you think it's undoable? Here's what I can do is I can have like a downloadable kind of PDF. We would love that. Yes, we're going to link to that. Yeah. And so I will, I'll make sure to, you know, to to send that over to you. So that that would probably be easier uh, because it's not just the questions. It's also kind of in the format that it's done is let's ask certain questions first. And here's a potential template of like how it works. You know, how do you fill in the blanks? You know, I do a lot of a different ways of, you know, how do you add this adjective? And when you fill in the blank, you know, to kind of think in different contexts. So I can send that over. That's probably the easiest. Great. Because I feel it would be unfair to our listeners to just uh, say that without actually including the questions. Yeah. But then stage two, when you ask for outside opinion, how do you ensure objectivity so that people don't sugar talk you instead of uh, telling the truth? What I usually say, it's a good question. It's been asked before. I would say, you know, I mentioned family, friends, spouses, kids, sometimes the most unapologetically truthful people Find whoever that is. Now, it could be a spouse. It could be maybe your, your mom and dad or wh- whoever. You know, for me, 
I have an eight-year-old son, soon to be eight-year-old son. He's the most unapologetically truthful, no a barrier behind him. But obviously, if you don't have kids, <laughs> it could be anyone. It could be anyone else. So I would say find. <laughs> I would say find that person, and you know they always say you know true friends you know don't kind of filter and they kind of tell you the truth even when it hurts. Find whoever that is in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and tell them for the purpose of what is you, you know what you're doing, saying I'm doing a personal branding of myself and an assessment of myself, and I want you to be unapologetically truthful. And when you kind of preface it with that, you'll usually get very very good answers. And again, mm-hmm. some of it may match with what you thought of yourself. Some of it is an add-on that you didn't think, and some of it might be surprising. So maybe positive framing will help because uh, they might not be uh, willing to point out your problems, but they might be more willing to point out your strengths, which you didn't even think about. That is the primary goal, isn't it? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One exercise that I do recommend to people when they ask how to position themselves is to not only audit yourself and your skills, but also audit your, you mentioned your past jobs, but also your past clients and what type of people you like to work with. Does that, is that included in your program? It is because a lot of times the most important part of a job is the could be the culture, could be the people you work with, you know, your manager, your coworkers. And so many times people have mentioned that to me. They said, you know what, I actually did not like this job at all, but I worked with like someone who was like amazing, who helped me, who did this, who did that, or a very like helpful, uh, you know, I had a mentor as a manager and I wish I could work with my manager, you know, at somewhere else, but I just don't like the role. So I think, again, it's not just parts of the role and the responsibilities from a job perspective. It's anything surrounding jobs, clients, people you work with, you know, who you work with, what did you like about them? So I, I do cover that as well. I usually start with kind of parts of the job, roles, responsibilities that you liked. And if there's nothing there, and then I usually go. And of course, anyone can add in about you know the who of who they worked with. When it comes to mapping the results of this to actual design sub-industries, sub-disciplines. Is there any like directory of uh, design jobs, design positions that you use to map or like what do they compare it to? Yeah, all I would say is because it varies so much because of what people end up with, the best that it can do is that it can inform your job strategy and it can inform how you position your portfolio and like, for example, the homepage of your portfolio and how you present yourself. But when you're looking for jobs and roles, you, you can look for certain, certain roles. What that does is instead of looking at thousands of jobs, doing a mindless and endless search, it actually just caters it down to be like, hey, I'm looking for these specific things. And it keeps it more focused and it keeps it more impactful and it keeps it more efficient because without it, that's also an area where people are job searching. You don't know where to look. You don't know half, half the time what the job descriptions say is not what they mean. And so this is where I also talk about, you know, through my program, we have to do basically like a matching process of like, you know, based on what we've come up with, let's start focusing in these areas. Maybe it's a certain industry. Maybe it's, again, it could be startups or it could be large enterprise companies, or it could be financial in the, in the financial sector, or it could be in the real estate sector. Or it could be consulting companies or agencies. Or again, this is where I kind of break down the different types of companies, both by vertical and as well as size, as well as mission. And let's find something and let's focus on an area that's going to actually 
where you can probably provide the most value and you're going to be much more likely to basically get a call back or get a response back if you you know if you reach out to them. When it comes to positioning, you mentioned that it's an overlap of uh, what what you can do, what you can offer, what the market wants and what is uh, missing, the gap. I'm curious, do you recommend uh, people to start with like more popular jobs, you know, following the model of uh, selling ice cream on the beach? So if there is place for 10,000 mobile designers, uh, mobile app designers, then probably there will be place for another one. And there is always, always <laughs> place for a good designer. Or do you recommend exploring exotic professions, directions and such? Yeah, it's a good question. As an example, let's go through kind of these three you know, over the last couple of years of someone who I worked with who ended up basically being, you know, came from marketing and ended up being a, a UX writer. And it actually ended up working out because number one, over the last three to four years, the field of UX writing has extraordinarily picked up. And that is because some years before that, again, many designers were being hired But I think it's safe to say that maybe you agree or maybe others agree with me or not, but I think a lot of times, you know, the IA and information architecture is kind of neglected. And so UX writing was basically born out of both that as well as the hyper-focus on conversions and, you know, call to actions. Those two things have created a need, a market need for UX writing. And by the way, there's not many people that do that. So if you're good, for, so I worked with someone who uh, came from marketing, was a copywriter, started learning some of the, the basics of UX writing, maybe the differences between copywriting, UX writing, best practices of information architecture, you know, got the foundations. And again, picked, a, picked an area. I can't remember exactly what industry it was. I don't think it was SaaS. I want to say it might have been somewhere in the financial industry, uh, maybe fintech. But UX, again, the competition, not many people that were UX writers. UX writing is hiring. This is, I think this was about a, you know, again, a year and a half ago, although I would still say it's happening today. And they have the skills. They were able to basically find a job within less than six weeks because they had that, you know, they did this assessment and they realized, and I did it with them. It's not just like all done on, you know, it's done with me. And we realized, hey, the market is really kind of asking for this type of role. And like you said, you know, selling, <laughs> selling ice cream on the beaches, that's, Over time, if everyone kind of hears about it, it could be flooded and it could get saturated, but there's always going to be new areas that are going to be kind of popping up. And so this is like a perfect example of how those two areas were kind of were well-defined and the, the job followed. I'm glad that you mentioned UX writing. We had a great episode with Yuval Kesteher recently about UX writing versus content designer that actually is the same thing. <laughs> I recommend it. And they also have uh, great resources at uxwritinghub.com. And I would also like to recommend another pretty old episode with Meg Luce when we do define personal design style using a very similar set of exercises, basically trying to map personality with uh, what you're going to do as a professional. So those two worth listening to. <laughs> you Absolutely. mentioned you have some of your favorite books or other resources on the topic that we're exploring today. Would you like to mention those? Sure. I, I will say I've read a bunch. Uh, unfortunately, many of the personal branding books are kind of fly by night, what's kind of hot at the time of writing. So there's not actually that many that 
kind of stand the test of time, although there are a couple. One is from like, I think it's from 2000, even 10 years ago, it's like 2012 or 2013, but it's got the core principles of branding. It's called Branding Pays, and it's by Karen Kang. And another one that was kind of along the same lines, again, core foundational personal branding principles that kind of stick, whether you read it now or five years from now. I can't remember the name of the author, but it's called Reinventing You. And it, I think it came out in like 2017 or 2018. Those two very, very good books actually pulled a lot of the core principles from Karen Kang's Branding Pays book because they're just so foundational into defining who you are, your passions, your strengths, and so on. So I would highly recommend that. How often should a design professional self-audit themselves and then uh, fine-tune their specialty? So what is like that recommended period for try and pivot, see if it works and pivot again uh, if it doesn't? So I'll answer this in two ways. One, if you've never done this before, the first time you do it is probably going to take the longest. After that, every time you revisit it, it's it's not going to be as long. And how often those intervals of when you kind of revisit it, usually there's no specific time frame, but it usually coincides with some like life event. So, you know, you've, if you're looking for a new job, if you've, you know, unfortunately, if you've been laid off from a job, if there've been massive changes in, you know, for now, like we're kind of in a potentially a down economy. These are the times where there's kind of transformative changes happening either from external forces or for from a job perspective, if something is changing for you, it'll be a good time to do it. That being said, if you're in a job for many, many years and nothing happens, I would argue that, and I, th I think in this book, uh, one of the books, Reinventing You, they also argue that this is not an option to basically figure out your personal branding. This is a necessity. And so again, this was, they were saying this in 2017, 2018, but if you can think about what's happening now in these days, How many more content creators are there? How many more people that are kind of defining themselves, whether you see them on you know, TikTok or YouTube, and how many, there's so many more freelancers that have entered the market. The supply of designers and people changing, again, changing careers is also at an all-time high. I would argue that doing this exercise on a you know, re relatively regular basis is important. And if you haven't done this, I would say it's necessary because Either you're going to try to reinvent yourself and figure out, you know, continuously where you kind of lie in the, you know, the, in the market, or the market's going to do that for you and you're kind of, you're going to be catching up and you might be left behind. So I'm not saying that as a, as a, as a, as a scare tactic, but it's almost like there are, there are market forces that are happening right now and that have been happening over the last couple of years. You can see the extraordinary amount of people that are coming in. So the more crowded it gets, it would only be advantageous to kind of focus on this and find your unique value proposition. Thanks so much for all the great advice today. Where can people find you personally and your coaching program online? Yeah, sure. So obviously they can search for me, Rajiv Subramanian, on any of the socials, the Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, obviously just to name a few, Instagram, of course. But my website is uh, shiftux.co. And usually I offer basically some So, uh, free guidebooks. And again, I will add the self audit, you know, the list of questions and kind of the assessment and they can reach me there. And usually if there's some interest in terms of transitioning into the field, going through my kind of step-by-step -step process, which starts with a personal brand, I'm happy to talk to you and you can kind of grab a lot of the, you know, free resources that I have 
and then book a call with me and I'll be happy to kind of talk you through you know, how you can kind of uniquely find your place and be an impactful designer in you know, today's market. Fantastic. Well, thanks once again and good luck with growing your program and with all the teaching endeavors. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful rest of your week. You too.